Emmaus Church is a church community delighting in Jesus together for the joy of Ankeny. We hope the following sermon brings you closer to the joy we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about us, please visit EmmausChurchAnkeny.com. So, I call this passage the record scratch passage. Um, I call it the record scratch passage. You've likely seen this in a movie or it's it's kind of a trope in in the culture. You could almost imagine a man driving down a very busy street in New York City whizzing in and out on his bicycle through cabs and other cars and red lights and people all around. There's music playing in the background that builds up energy as he's just gracefully darting in and through the traffic and then all of a sudden record scratch which tells you something unpleasant is coming it's not an indication of something exciting or interesting or pleasant it's unnerving it's why the sound is unnerving it's to interrupt what is uh, the vision of you know like goodness and delight and joy and then reality hits you and usually in in that scene someone's going to get hit by a bus or crash into something or and broken bones and you know it's it's it usually leads to something horrible ruining somebody's day well i call this a record scratch passage see in leviticus what we've seen so far throughout Leviticus is that God wants to come near people. He wants he people uh, in sin. We've been banished from the Garden of Eden, banished and kicked out of God's presence. And He chases people down in the desert uh, to make and makes a home among them. And He invites them into His presence and He gives them the five sacrifices that were summarized at the end of this passage. He gives them those five sacrifices and invites them to come in to be cleansed of sin, forgiven have sinned atoned for. And last week we saw that all of this culminates into this highly participatory communal party before God where people are feasting and enjoying God's presence together. And, you, and it's like you're all, everything's being resolved. We're getting back to Eden. Hope is being restored. And we're, there's restoration with God and humanity. And then record scratch. This is that passage. There's a big record scratch in this passage. In this passage, all of that celebration, the food, the wine, the joy, the life, seems to come, have a very dark cloud hang over it. Death and debt come crashing in in this passage. Death and debt come crashing in in this passage. And, and, he, and really, here, here's the point of Leviticus 7, 19 down to the end of the chapter is this, is that I think what, what, what God wants you to see this morning and what I'm hoping to help you see from this passage is that Jesus removes the scratch of the record, granting us unending joy in God's presence, partying with Him and His people and His kingdom. But, we ha- but to, to see that from this passage... We have to do some work and contend with the debt and the death that comes out of this passage. So, so let's look at this and, and do some work together to see this. So first, then death. Uh, verses 19 to 27, death is the sort of theme that 
emerges out of these verses. You see the big word that indicates death is in mind here is the word cut off, which is repeated multiple times throughout this passage. In verse 20, and the last half of verse 20, you see the threat of being cut off. In verse 21, at the end of verse 21, there's the threat of being cut off. You see it again at the end of verse 25, and you see it again in verse 27. And so throughout these verses, over and over again, in the midst of what you would think is like some great circumstance, the people of God are able to go into His presence and they come in with this dark threat of being cut off. What does it mean to be cut off? Certainly that can't be a good thing. It's like hearing the record scratch. It was like, well, what does that mean? Well, when you read through the Old Testament, you see how this phrase is used. It, it means death. It means exile. It means, it means being cut off from the life of God and the life of God's community. It means death. Throughout the Old Testament, it describes, uh, it describes God judging people, the judgment of God where He would literally kill somebody in a moment. Or it was death by exile and being removed from the community, from society. It's... It's, a, it's, a, it's the idea that eventually comes to full form in the New Testament where you see Jesus and the other apostles teaching on the doctrine of hell. Where this, is, this is the sort of idea that's coming. It's, it's being pushed out into outer darkness. It's a kind of hell, a kind of judgment from God that's, being, that's hanging over this text. And it, and, it, and it just kind of pierces through these verses that you are going you, you you could be cut off there's high this is this is a high stakes party that people are being invited into with god in verses 19 to 21 we, we can see one of the reasons why there's really two reasons here but one of the reasons why in verses 19 to 21 you can be cut off for bringing impurity in look at look at verse 19 with me the lord spoke to moses saying this is the offering i'm sorry i'm in chapter 6 not chapter 7 sorry <laughs> uh, flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who uh, are clean may eat flesh. So you need to be clean. You need to be clean to participate in the sacrifice. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while an uncleanness is on him, that person should be cut off from his people. That person should be judged by God. That person should be exiled and brought to death. bringing impurity into God's presence. So if you just happen to be unclean, and we talked about how easy it is to be unclean, and we'll see more of that as we move through Leviticus, you bring any of that into God's presence, judgment. You're cut off. This is a high stakes. A, a, a very dark cloud hangs over this feast that the people would eat. Verses 22 to 27, we see the other reason why. If you happen to eat God's things. Last week we learned, or I don't remember if it was last week, one of the weeks uh, recently, we learned that, we learned that uh, sin ultimately is a, 
the manifestation of the desire to prefer God's things over God, and so it ends up people taking things from God. This is what happened with Eve in the garden. We discussed this in detail. And it is ultimately at the bottom of all human sin, preferring God's things over God, taking God's things from God that are His. And this is what's happening in this text in verses 22 to 27. If you take God's things, if you eat the things that are reserved for God alone, you get cut off. Look with me at verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, you shall eat no fat. Chapter 3, verse 16, all the fat is the Lord's. And at the end of chapter 3, not only all the fat is the Lord's, but all the blood from an animal is God. He owns it the same way He owned the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve took from and stole from. God's saying here, you, you eat these things and then you shall be cut off. You shall, you shall be judged by God. The problem is, as I've already noted, Eating unclean things is super easy to do. And in, if you remember when we looked at the passage in Leviticus that discussed um, eating, ha- having a guilty conscience, but you weren't sure if you really did something wrong or not. Remember that? Yeah. It's because it's hard to know sometimes whether or not you ate some of God's fat. It can hide in the animal. And so... That was to be, there's a reason why they needed that sacrifice. Because if they didn't sacrifice for it, they would be judged. And so people needed to be able to have comfort coming into God's presence because it was such high stakes. It is so dangerous. You do anything wrong, it feels like. You make any one misstep. You got got to walk on eggshells in the presence of God. Because you never know when judgment is coming. That's that's, that's kind of the, the, the... that, that, that can dampen the spirit of a party. Right? The peace that appears to be achieved here is fragile. Not because this, there's anything fragile about the sacrifices, not because there's anything wrong with God's laws, but because we are so ignorant and so sinful as people that we are just so easily corrupted that we could even ignorantly just walk in and incur the judgment of God. So, so death just breaks in in the middle of the party and causes a record scratch moment. But that's not the only thing. It's not the only thing that emerges out of this text. We also see that debt comes out. Look in verse 28 to 38 with me. We see how debt hangs over. Verses 28 uh, down to verse 36 tell us that we come to this party in debt. Imagine being invited to a party at a nice restaurant. The end of the meal, they hand you the check, and everyone says, oh, thanks for dinner, and walks out. Not only are you threatened with death at God's party in the peace offering, you're given the bill. You owe a debt that you have to pay. Look at verse 29 with me. Whoever offers the sacrifice of this peace offering. So if you're going to offer one of these sacrifices, you want to come into the presence of God? You want to enjoy the presence of God? Verse 30, he shall bring. You're bringing it. 
Verse 32, you shall give to the priest. Verse 34, I have ta- God, I have taken from the people. He, he, he gave them the check. As a perpetual due in verse 34. In verse 36, command this to be given a perpetual due. There's something that's owed. There's a responsibility here among the people throughout all their generations. Talk about getting the bill to the end of dinner. This is, and, and, and this bill, this is a large bill. This is a large bill. Not only in the other four sacrifices is the worshiper bringing in their own animals over and over for daily sacrifices in some, of the, in some cases. Anytime there's impurity or sin, they're to bring animals. Imagine, I mean, especially in a culture where everybody's farmers, there's no modern, I mean, there's no refrigerator. I mean, there's just so many things that are, make this so expensive. And then when they come to this meal and they finally get to be in the presence of God and to eat with God, they owe more. They owe more. Verse 30. The breast of a, ripe, of a bird is given. So you're going to bring in a, 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 a bird for sacrifice? The, the priest is going to get the bird, the, the breast of the bird. Which, what's left on a, a pigeon or a turtle dove? <laughs> what's left? Not exactly chicken wings. Uh, what about, and then verse 33, the right thigh of an animal. So you bring in a cow or a bull to sacrifice the whole right thigh is given to the priest which especially in that culture in that day would have been one of the most choice and pricely pieces of the cow that would be have been given up um, and surrendered not only did they not get to keep and participate and eat anything of the animals and the other four sacrifices when they finally get to eat they have to give up some of the, mo- the, the most costly parts and valuable parts of the things that they're, they're given. You don't, you don't just owe here. You owe what's precious. You owe what's precious. And you give a lot up in order to enter a party with God. It's going to cost you, in other words. And so... You, you're left here wondering, how, and if you haven't asked this yet, you should be asking it. How in the world is any Israelite going to actually be able to afford to do all that we've just read in the last eight chapters of Leviticus, or the last seven chapters of Leviticus? What, what, I, mean, I mean, there's concessions given for poor people and giving pigeons and birds rather than bulls and sheep and whatnot, but even with that, I mean... Th- God is demanding so much. And it's just like, you can imagine, oh, we get to go into God's presence and we got to give more? How much is God going to demand? I can't afford this. So if there's any hope for joy, any hope for life, for flourishing, for anything good in God's presence, if there's any real actual party with God, real life, it's there. 
but can you actually access it and, and enjoy it? That's the question in front of us this morning. Can we afford to go in the presence of God? Will we survive going into His presence? Or are we going to have to walk on eggshells and feel like we're never enough? Israel certainly couldn't afford it, nor did they enter His presence safely. They didn't. There's evidence of that all over the New Testament. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get to enjoy this very much. God kicked the whole nation out of Israel in an exile. Cut, cut the people off. And so the question is, whoa, how, how are we going to do any better? That, that's the question. How are we going to do any better? How will we be able to actually enjoy peace with God? So we need to know, we need to know that this is leading us somewhere. God moved into the desert, giving these sacrifices, knowing not ignorant about the fragile, vulnerable, corrupt nature of the people to whom he gave these sacrifices. He knew their frailty. He knew their poverty. He's not dumb. So he gave those sacrifices for the purpose of exciting their hearts to long for the day when he would send his son Jesus. That, that, that's the point of all of this, is to excite the hearts of these people, to help them see not only their need, but to look forward to a better and to a superior access, a safer access into the presence of God that would undo the threat of death, that would pay the bill for the party and usher us in to the presence of God where there's no record player to be scratched. There is no chapter in the New Testament that encapsulates how it is that God has worked in Christ to do this very thing for us than Ephesians chapter 2. If you look to Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can turn open there. Uh, but Ephesians 2, from beginning to end, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul, in penning this chapter, sat down and said, okay, I'm going to resolve these issues that we've discovered in Leviticus chapter 7. He starts in Ephesians 2, verse 1, reminding us that we were dead in our sins. We were cut off. Cut off. Trapped in sin, to live in the death of sin, following the way of the world, ruled by Satan. We all carried out the cravings of our bodies, of our minds, and as he says there, by nature, children of wrath, cut off from the love of God like the rest of mankind. But God, he says, but God, in His boundless mercy toward us, has loved us so greatly and deeply that even when we were covered in death and the corruption of our sins, preferring them over delight in Him, says there he made us alive with Christ by the power of his resurrection. Showering his people in grace unmeasured. And now, rather than cut off, it says there, you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You've been united with, to God in Christ by faith. So that 
throughout all the ages, God will show off how crazy, wild, and infinitely deep and kind His grace is toward people who couldn't afford it and who deserve death. So He says, you've been saved by grace. God did this through giving you the gift of faith and trust in Jesus. Your faith is not from you. You didn't pay God by having faith in Him and He received it as a, as a payment. He says there it's a gift. Not a result of you willing or trying to fix yourself and make yourself good so that you, would not be, so that you wouldn't stand before God and be like, look God, the nice cow I bought for you. But that you would be humble and enjoy the pure grace and mercy of God for your hope and your life in Christ is God's work, Paul emphasizes in Ephesians 2. He recreates you and your heart in Christ, and He did it so that you would, out of that new creation, then do good works. Do the things that He's called you and commanded you to do, all of which God designed for you to do, having recreated you in Jesus. And he just, he goes on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. So you be patient with me. I'm going on. Because it's, it's just, it, it just, it, it becomes even more clear how all of this just resolves all of this. So Paul says, therefore, therefore remember, you were cut off from God. Alienated from Christ, from His people. You were cut off from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But, God has acted in Christ and there is a new story, a new reality that dominates your identity and who you are. You've been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your Lord. He Himself is your peace with God. He restored what was cut off, broken down in His body, having been cut off by God Himself in your place in His death on the cross. And He made peace with God for us Destroying the wall of hostility between us and God. Destroying the law, the, those commandments that would hang like a black cloud over a party and cause you to walk on eggshells, or maybe not even enter out of fear of what's going to happen, that would condemn you. And in Christ, He creates in Himself one new man in the place of two. He, he doesn't just... You bring us back into the presence of God. He unites us. We are united to Christ in, in faith. So that where there's one new man in the place of the two, uniting us to himself. So, and, and, and that he makes, I mean, you can't get any more peace than a truly united one man. And through his death in, the body on the, on, in his body on the cross, he kills that hostility Ending your status as cut off so that becoming cut off again is not even possible. It's dead. The hostility and the lack of peace can't be cobbled back together because it was accomplished in the perfect work of Jesus for you. Perfectly united to Jesus. So that when you look back and you see that Jesus Himself came in the flesh preaching and teaching and healing, when he came declaring a kingdom of peace with God, he proves to us that he intends, he proves, he intends to rescue you from being cut off. And it's through him that you have access in the Holy Spirit to, the, to, to God and can actually enter his presence 
without that black cloud hanging over you, you're safe. You're safe, and it's a secure place for you to be. So you're no longer cut off. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are, as the scriptures say here, you're saints. You're holy before God. You are owned by God, purified by Christ, qualified and safe to come near God, literal citizens, literal members of God's household who can boldly enter and enjoy Him and find your soul resting and delighting in Him. And you can do this having standing upon and resting in the work of Christ as it was accomplished through the apostles and the prophets and now in you. He does all this. God does all this to accomplish a crazy miracle so that not only you can come near and enjoy Him, but through the death and the shed blood of Christ, He accomplishes such an effective and such a powerful reconciliation between you and God that the distance between you and God can only be described as a closeness that is not outside of you, but inside of you. A closeness to which you get to enjoy God so that He would describe you as a house that has been cleansed and made fit for Him to live in and to dwell. A dwelling place by, for God by the Spirit. You become, a, you become so close to God that you become a literal temple in which God Himself lives and dwells. So you need to hear this this morning. You're not cut off in Christ. If your hope and your faith is in Jesus, you're not cut off. And if your hope and your faith is not in Christ, know you can find safety with God as you entrust your soul to Him, even this morning. You could be so near to God that if you look outside of yourself, you might think you're alone. You're so near God that you can look into your own heart inside of yourself and find God in you. But that doesn't mean you won't find God outside of you. But you will find God inside of other people. Those in whom He has put His Spirit within. This is why he brings us into the church so we can look around and we can see God at work around us in one another's hearts. It's a mir- I mean, it's, it's a miracle. The record here scratches in this party in Leviticus chapter 7 with this talk of being cut off. But for, I mean, what glory is there when we see God's design and we gaze upon and consider what glory there is in what He has done for us in Jesus to resolve all of that tension and all of that vulnerability and difficulty. Jesus takes the record of peace of the peace offering and He destroys that and the record player. He becomes our peace. 
a peace that will never scratch. And he ushers us into the party of God's love that we would delight in him with freedom without fear of judgment. Church in Christ, you never, ever have to fear being cut off. Jesus was cut off by God for you so that you would never have to fear that. You're never going to be in a place in which God, where you're, never gonna, where you're not going to be able to give God enough to satisfy Him. Because Jesus gave Him everything for you. All of God and His presence is for you in Christ. His peace doesn't just unite you to God, but as I've already indicated, I think the as I was praying about and looking at this passage, asking the Lord, how, how does this passage sort of meet us in our lives together, not just in our personal relationship with the Lord, but how does it meet us as a church together? Um, it, and I think the, the natural application of these truths is to reconcile with the reality that when God makes peace with me and he makes peace with you then he makes peace with us that we are we are together enjoying the presence and the delights of Christ you see Jesus didn't just come to save individuals he came to build a kingdom of people who would together not only individually be united to God but be united together as God is with the Son and the Spirit. One, perfectly one, as Jesus prayed for the church in John 17. This means that peace is not merely to be, uh, merely to be agreed with. Not merely a doctrine to define. But the peace of God that we have in our souls is something to be manifested. Something to actually be walked out and lived out among one another. It is to create a culture of peace, a, a culture as Jesus describes in the Beatitudes, of peacemakers. This is, this, is, uh, this is the life that has been made at peace with God and united with God in Christ creates a culture of peace and loving community among one another. A couple years ago, uh, I said something offensive to somebody. Imagine that, me, Mr. Impulsive Luke. Um, I, I'm my father's son. Uh, I said something offensive. I was just being silly, trying to have fun, like I normally do. And my words were sharp and not intended, but certainly did wound. And that person imaged the love of Jesus by coming to me and helping me see my fault. They showed me how I had hurt and offended them. And in that moment, I confessed. I asked their forgiveness. And they accepted. And in that moment, when they accepted that and our relationship was restored, what was happening was that person picked up the tab on my sin. They paid it. They ate it. They forgave me. They suffered the wrong 
And they did not cut me off. They paid the bill. And then, in forgiveness, we were re reunited in friendship, in deeper friendship, having experienced that. Their willingness to join Christ in His sufferings, identifying by faith in the way and the love of Jesus, we as friends enjoyed unstopped peace and experienced the perpetual peace of Christ with one another. So let me ask you this morning, do you enjoy the work of Jesus to get you into the joy of God's party alone? Or does that joy push you to pay the bill and die to yourself for the joy of each other? I'm happy to report I see it happening all over the place in here, so that makes me very happy. It's evidence of God's Spirit at work among us. But I think we can be challenged to press even deeper party of God in God's presence causes people to overflow with love that looks like his and that acts like his we be we bear his image not to try and earn more love from God because Jesus has already paid for that and took care of all of it for us but out of gratefulness and out of the transforming work in which he reorders our souls so that we could actually live and look like him fulfill the purpose for which we were created and so this morning I just rhetorical questions for you to think on. Who do you need to make peace with in your life? Living out of the love of God for you in Christ. Whose debt do you need to cancel and that you would pick up the tab and pay for it? Whose sin against you do you need to join Jesus in suffering with so they can enter into God's community without fear of walking on eggshells around you? How is the love of Christ pushing you to image the peace that God has won for you in Christ this week? This is God's Word not only... <laughs> so it's, it's just so cool how the way God works. When He chooses to glorify Himself by calling us to worship and be right with Him, it happens to also make us right with one another and increase our joy and community as a people. And as we, the further we press into these things, the more joyful the culture and the community of our church and those in whom we come in contact with will be hopefully built up in the love and the joy of Jesus. So 